When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. And welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. What up, Joshua? <laughs> I feel like um, I haven't uh, chatted with you in a while, but that's not true. We just chatted last week. No, that that is not true. Um, we do text. We still text. That's true. That's true. I, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I just I love sending you a good morning text. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's nice. It was nice, you know. And um, I'm getting to this weird place in my life where, like, no matter if it's the weekend or weekday, I'm still getting up at six or seven in the morning. You know, like I just get up and mm. just do things. You know, <laughs> I, I'm accomplishing more before ten a.m. than I ever have in my entire life. Ugh. It's just scary. It just, you know, I don't know. Um, like Maybe your body thinks your body's like sleeping in is now six, seven. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I'm getting up when I would usually get up to get ready for work. And, um, you know, I mean, part of that is because like, there's nothing else to do, but go to bed. <laughs> you know, it's not like I'm at any concerts. I'm not going to any shows or movies or just hangouts, you know, we're just, um, and now that's, you know, going to get even harder to do as we enter the winter and um you know covid continues to rage and meets up with our lady flu and uh makes <laughs> the world a dangerous <laughs> place even more dangerous to uh, step outside of so it's like you know it, it gets to be eight o'clock at night and i'm just like man let's get to bed you know <laughs> is that your is that your drag name lady flu <laughs> <laughs> our lady of the uh influenza <laughs> Hi, lady influenza. Yeah, so I don't know. So, yeah, anyways, so my point is, is um, my life is boring right now, but as many of our lives are boring, so I'm getting up and having tea and reading <laughs> early in the morning. Anyways, how are you? How was your week? It's okay. Um, All right. Just, you know, waiting for the new lockdown. I was just like... I mean, like, here's how I feel about it. We're in California, right? So if we do go to, if we do to go to like a fish, like another like lockdown type of lockdown, if like anybody's lives felt like feel completely impacted by that, then maybe they're the problem. (laughs) Well, we, well, you know, we're in, um, we're in the most restrictive tier our county is right right right. now. 
Well, yeah, that was kind of the weird thing where it's like, oh, we're gonna have to go into another lockdown. I'm like, we left one, but I mean, it's everybody else is acting that way, you know. Everybody else, you know, yeah. not everybody, but plenty of people are going about their business now. Our restrictive tier or whatever was supposed to take effect um, Saturday at midnight, correct? But I believe so. Yes, but it it hasn't. Um, uh, Jeffrey went out to um, you know gather sundries, and he said it was busy as ever. Nobody even checking. So I just don't think we're taking it very seriously. And I, I mean, well, obviously we're not taking it very seriously and it's, um, I don't know. I don't know what to think. Cause part of me is like, listen, people are just going to do whatever they want to do. You might as well just let everything be normal, you know, and people are going to get sick and they're going to, you know, just like anything else, like with the flu or whatnot, they're going to catch it. And the, you know, conditions will be what they are, you know, for that particular person. Um, you know, or, or they have to find a way to really restrict and really force people to stay locked down. You know, I, I just don't know. I'm caught in this weird situation where I'm like, I don't want people to get sick and die as we've talked about before, obviously. Uh, but it seems like people are hell bent on getting sick and dying. <laughs> so I don't know. It's just so strange. It's like, people just are like, ah, eh, fuck it. You know, yeah, I don't understand how. Home, but hey, I'm partying maskless and um, you know, having a giant orgy, and they the uh, state can go fuck itself. <laughs> well, I I don't understand how people COVID, can they think... shouldn't be so weak. <laughs> like I don't understand how people can say I'm like, being, uh, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not been doing that. I'm staying home. I'm going to work or I'm at home. I mean, I've been keeping, I have been doing my best. So sorry. I'm not trying to be flippant. Anyways, go ahead, Joe. <laughs> gonna, well, we I don't understand. I don't understand how people can say that like, Oh, this is the perfect time to go like meet a friend and do something, you know, let's go and sit outside. Like let's go to some establishment when it's like, yeah, 15, 20% of infection is coming from like restaurants. <laughs> it's right. coming from those things. It's and. And I'm just like, okay, well, you know, I literally haven't seen some people since, you know, before March, like way right. before March. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and that's like, okay with me because there's different ways for people to connect. It is not the same, but we, like, we're not living in ordinary time. We're living in extraordinary times. So, until we can approach more until we can until we can go to more safe things it's just like i'm completely okay with being like well yeah i'm not gonna do that sorry not gonna do that don't feel comfortable doing that nope that is true i i one of my friends posted like like pictures or was tagged in pictures of like it looked like a friend's giving and um she lives in washington and i'm like oh my god there are like 10 people that are gonna die from this because of their like friends giving and the just, you know, beautiful white faces, all happy, smiling. It is like the Decameron, no you know? Yeah, no mask. No one was wearing a mask. It's like, oh my God, all inside. And I'm like, oh no. Well, I don't know if I'm going to feel sorry, but I, I mean, I will on a human level. Yes, I feel sorry for you. But at the same time, it's like, well, what did you expect? So. Yeah, I see that a little bit with my family because some of them are posting that they have COVID or that they've been fighting, you know, and it's like, well, 
Um, that sucks, but you were posting that it's all fake and a hoax or that you weren't going to wear a mask and you weren't going to do anything different. And now you're, you know, I can't have had this for 10 days now for two weeks now. And it's like, yeah, um, it's an illness that uh, scientists and doctors have been talking about, but, uh, what do they fucking know? You know, um, I got a sixth right? grade education, so I certainly know more than a scientist, not to be elitist about, um, academics, but when it comes to some of my family members, I can't help it, but be like, really? <laughs> you're criticizing doctors and science as, as, as creating this whole hoax worldwide. Really? Uh, these few scientists got together with all the countries of the world and said, Hey, let's all make up this sickness, uh, so that Donald Trump can win the presidency yeah. or lose the presidency or whatever their, um, conspiracy is now. Cause I'm very confused by the whole thing about why, how the, um, creating this pandemic is helping the Democrats, but whatever, <laughs> or hurting them or whatever. I don't know. Uh, QAnon, lizard people. Um, so can I, I'm going to be Bingo. completely honest now. I'm going to have another confession for you. Um, <laughs> when you started talking about QAnon a couple episodes ago, I had no idea what that shit was. I was like, oh, no, is this okay. like, is this like a, um, what it like a like a message board like a 4chan like i didn't know that it was like this big the conspiracy of it and i'm right, and i yeah. and i was like what is he talking about why I don't is he even talking think about it's pedophilia like yeah and i don't even think they freaking know you know what i mean like it's just the this bizarre collection of of various conspiracies like Pizzagate and the adrenochrome thing. And then some of the lizard people kind of get involved in it or not. Maybe Satanists in the democratic party, um, you know, the Hollywood child sex trafficking Satanists. <laughs> I mean, it's all this, you know, I don't know. Uh, it, yeah. It's hard to get to pin down exactly because I really don't think that the people who are participating in it even have a very clear idea of what it is, you know, but all I know is that it is all working, uh, to, um, help or maybe hurt Donald Trump. I don't know. That's the, <laughs> yeah, that's, it's like, it's nuts. I mean, uh, so one of Do our watch, listeners um, is going to be like, you don't know what you're talking about QAnon. And they're going to write to us and tell me all about it and maybe clarify some of my confusion, which I would welcome. <laughs> um, <laughs> Have you watched uh, Sarah Cooper, Everything's Fine, on Netflix? No, I've been wanting to, but I, I just I just haven't found the time, I guess. That's really the end of it. Um, <laughs> I would like to watch it, though. It was good. You saw it? I liked, their, I liked it, and, and, and mainly I want you to watch it just for the uh, QAnon... Um, home shopping channel sketch that stars oh, Aubrey awesome. Plaza. <laughs> okay, I'm here for that already. That all sounds wonderful. So um, I was like, this is completely up Joshua's alley. Have you done research now? Now that um, you know, since since the topic was introduced to you, um, have you? I'm afraid to because i I don't want my I don't want my cookies and my caches and my <laughs> my I don't want the data trail to like. <laughs> it's huh. just like. How, 
if I go say what is QAnon, and then all of a sudden, you know, does that mean I'm in it? If I if I Google it, am I automatically might, in it? They now? may show up, um, but nobody's shown up and asked me any questions yet. And I'm sure my browser searches have got to be concerning if you don't know me, <laughs> uh, and possibly even if you do know me, they're concerning. Um, <laughs> I do sometimes wonder about that when I'm like looking for certain things, um, especially related to horror, you know, so it was like, we're going to, you know, like our satanic panic, it's like child sex trafficking sacrifice. <laughs> like I'm looking for, you know, these cases and these stories and, you know, and then it's like, uh, I was just watching that, um, the people at J store are like, what the hell is this guy looking for? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but that Dennis, uh, Nielsen, I watched Des, the, uh, three part miniseries starring, uh, David Tennant playing, um, um, Nielsen, who was a, uh, a, a serial killer. Um, and, uh, you know, so then I'm like looking up his stuff and like crime scene photos. <laughs> I'm just like, Lord knows whatever, whoever is watching my, you know, <laughs> if they were going to frame me for like, if I don't know, for whatever reason, like they would have plenty of evidence. Oh, yeah, know? there would be there would not be. It'd be just like you on this day, you Googled, you yeah. know, child murder crematorium. And I'm like, exactly. Not, not, <laughs> and then he was like, well, that was one of in- them because that, that actually was a was a, a real search. I know I totally because they said that these Satanists had a traveling crematorium. Which I think in this d- time frame would have been nearly impossible to have such a thing. Uh, but that was that actually was picked, a search. I just picked three random words. No, but that no, but it's true. They yeah, they like with the whole satanic panic thing that they had a traveling crematorium to burn these thousands of bodies of missing people in that were not missing, but whatever you know, hysteria works uh, um, in mysterious ways. uh but yeah no if jeffrey ever just wanted to like vanish off the face of the earth and run away and just you know blame me for murdering him he probably they probably would happen you know they they could probably look and say hey man yeah we're pretty sure you did something here he's gonna double jeopardy you he's gonna gone girl you exactly precisely he could do it (laughs) and i probably would take the fall for it um no he'll be invisible (laughs) man you oh Sick fuck. I'm an invisible (laughs) man, him first. (laughs) Anyway, so, God, besides all this, man, life is just a bizarre um, nightmare. Um, uh, The Crown is back. Um, speaking Are you of nightmares, uh, no, we watched the first three episodes this morning though, and then took a break because I had to rewatch the movie that we're going to talk about in the second half. I, I had to watch it again. Um, but and we'll talk about that, uh, when we talk about the film. Uh, but yeah, we, we watched a couple episodes this morning. Uh, have you watched it? No, but I want to go back and watch, uh, rewatch some episodes from, the most from the last season. Oh, uh, I've um, been doing that over the last couple of weeks. We're watching my favorite episodes from the whole series. Okay. What are your favorites? This is a crown recap podcast. Now <laughs> <laughs> the crown, we call it the crown, the crown. 
Uh, it's about a wee village. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> For every Margaret, there's a little bit. <laughs> exactly. So um, I like the fr- uh, in the first season. I like the episode where she finds out that she's going to be queen because that's very interesting. When that where they're in where they're in colonial Africa. Exactly. Um, you know, I just I think it's interesting, like the way they portray that. I like the um, episode where she realizes she's stupid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> What what episode is that? It's like something in Ciencia something. Um, but basically she like, re- like you know, Elizabeth realizes that she's had no real education, you know? And her mother's like, well, we gave you the education any girl should have, which is, it's nothing. Uh, you know, she she knows how to make tea uh, or whatever it is that they feel is good enough for <laughs> like a girl. the episode she read. That's good. I like that. No, but that, I mean, really, that is the episode. She just suddenly realizes she doesn't know where anything is. She doesn't know what anybody's talking about. She's the queen, and she's got to go and hang out with these men who all have these, you know, high educations, um, you know, and she's just like, I don't know what anybody's talking about. So unless we talk about horses, then, you know, I, I can't, <laughs> you know, and she's supposed to be leading this, you know, country or whatever it is the queen is supposed to be doing. Yeah. Um, you know, so I like that episode a lot where she like hires the tutor and she tries to learn, you know, about, you know, the, the world and how it works. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I like episodes like that. Um, there's, um, cause it, it, it for a couple reasons. One, it really pisses me off because when you're like that wealthy and have that kind of access and, you know, entree or whatever to the world, you know, mm-hmm. they could go anywhere they want in the world practically at any time, you know, if they wanted to get access to any museum, any college, library, any, you know, I mean, especially in that time frame, you know, in yeah. the 60s, you know, and in the 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, it's like they had such power and they just sat around like not at all being impressed by the artwork they were surrounded by, the history that they were surrounded by, um, not at all interested in it. You know, there's that whole episode where the Kennedys visit and there's a the whole thing about Jackie Kennedy, you know, talking about just how boring they all are and and basically that they're, you know, kind of stupid, you know, that they're that they're not that they don't seem intelligent or curious about the world around them, you know? And so I just find those episodes in- interesting that highlight that because you sit here going, it's, it's the fucking queen of England, you know? And it's like, they're, I don't know. They're, they do seem kind of stupid. <laughs> you know, I mean, they just live this very insulated yeah. life and it does seem, you know, I mean, obviously they have other concerns and other things that they're doing that, you know, the rest of us mere mortals, uh, peasantry uh, could not understand, I'm sure. But, you know, it's just, I like episodes that highlight that. And there's one, uh, the artwork one where the guy turns out to be the Russian mole or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. That episode's really interesting. Um. You know, I like the one with the Aberfan, you know, that tragedy. I think that's a good one because it... The you know, one in Wales? Yeah, because that demonstrates, you know, the real, um, you know, it, it that connected to a very real world situation, you know, because the crown, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it is sort of a fictionalization of, you know, a dramatization of real events. Of history, yeah. Um, you know, so I like when they take ones that were kind of, you know, were, were big on a big, big scale and weren't just about the royal family or just about, um, you know. I like, yeah, her reaction to it and. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I anyway, like so those are the ones I like to watch. Oh, and Margaretology. I love anything with Helena Bonham Carter. So Bonham Carter. I can't even say her name right. Anyways, what about you? I like um, 
the one about climate change, the fog. Yeah. <laughs> the fog that killed people. Yeah. Um, um, I, I do love a John Lithgow as uh, Winston Churchill. Yeah, he was great. He um, was a really good choice. Um, and I think from this last season, I really enjoyed um, Charles Goes to Wales. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, also, because I love that I that actor is just you know mm-hmm. yummy and you know very 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 good actor. So yeah, yeah. Um, so so far, I'm enjoying the new season. I like seeing Gillian Anderson come in as Margaret Thatcher. Um, is she there right from the beginning? Hate. Yeah, yeah. It start the very first episode is about her inauguration. I don't know what you call it. Like installation as the prime minister. <laughs> And so, like, her first meeting with the queen and then, you know, that kind of thing. Um, uh, kind of. I invite you to form a government in my name. I love exactly. I, <laughs> all that stuff. I think, name. like, I, in, um, I think I love the crown because it reminds me of Game of Thrones. Like, there's all these people and oh, all yeah. these different names. Lots of intrigue. <laughs> lots of intrigue and part of my and that's one of my favorite things about like shows with many characters that you get to learn who the different characters are like i love a good tommy lassell's mm. like droll <laughs> very droll uh um commentary on things um and you know colonel adine a little michael adine as well um little martin charteris i just love those guys like those are the guys that i would actually like this would be a fun job to have um to be your private secretary. Private secretary. Right. Secretary. <laughs> secretary. Um, I, uh, I watched, so on Veterans Day, we were off, and I spent the whole day, and I watched from start to finish season two of The Politician. Oh. And had you it watched was it ex- before, though? This was like a second rewatch? No, no, this was my first time. I had been saving it. Like, I just wasn't really in the right place to watch anything about politics um, in fictional version. And I mean, like, yeah, the politician's not even really about politics. So, but yeah, it was uh, exactly what I thought it was going to be. It is a uh, very fun and campy and they need to find a way to bring back Judith light and uh, Bette Midler. Cause I think those two really save the series. Oh, yeah, that's the only reason I really watched it, um, because I didn't even finish the first season. Um, I went back and watched the first episode that Judith Light was in. I guess she was in, like, the final episode or something of the first season. Mm -hmm. And then I watched the whole of the second season. And, I mean, I I don't think you really have to watch the first season to, to enjoy it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, you don't, you don't need to at all. It's, it's such a departure. Um, and there really yeah, is its own story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it has its and own story like seeing, for sure. I just like seeing, you know, Bette Midler playing that kind of character. I thought it was a lot of fun. So uh, so I'm glad that you got to catch up and uh, finally watch it. Because it's so odd that I watched it and you didn't. Um, I know. Very yeah, I fell odd the things are happening. Season. Yeah, I watched the first couple episodes and then I just didn't watch any more of it. Um, I also, again, and I said this, I think we talked about me watching this already on the, on the show. Um, but I really don't like that lead guy. I just don't like him, you know, and not the character that I just don't like him. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's just a weird thing. Just as a person. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know. He just gives me a weird vibe. I don't know. He just has a face, uh, whatever. Anyways. Um, I, he's obviously talented, you know, all of that, but yes, you know, it's kind of the same thing with listening. Who sang? He was the one who sang River. 
Yes, at yeah, River's funeral. It was just awful. It was just so painful. I just, you know, I did see that and I just I think that's where I stopped watching the show. I was just very turned off by it. But anyways, um I did rejoin because I like um Bette Midler and Judith Light and that was enough for me to to stick it mm-hmm. out and watch that whole the second season just to watch Bette Midler be <laughs> the way she Bette was. Midler. On that show. Yeah, I mean it was great. Be Hadassah um, Gold, which yeah, is just Hadassah. like yeah. The best. Um, okay, so we've been talking for like 20 minutes and no, <laughs> nothing to do with a horror. Um, well, I mean, some horror, um, existential horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got Freaky came out on the 13th, Blumhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, not had a chance to watch it yet. I guess it'll be out for video on demand on the 30th. So stay tuned, kids. We're going to watch and discuss that. Um, you know, I guess when I think about it, I didn't really watch a lot of horror this week. Um, I like, you know, I was getting caught up on the crown and the crown. Um, <laughs> the crown. We're <laughs> not getting caught up, like I said, rewatching. Um, gosh, there was something else I had restarted to to watch, and I don't remember what it was. Ugh, well, that's too bad. Anyways, um. Ryan Murphy dropping uh, American Horror Story and American Horror Stories hints and posters. So I'm curious what they're going to do. Um, did you see Sarah Paulson's Linda Tripp photograph? Um, no. Yeah, she's going to be playing Linda Tripp in American Crime Story Impeachment. So she revealed her uh, look and that they had started principal photography. Um It'll be interesting to see actually her acting in it, but in the photo, I mean, you kind of have to like look at it to find Sarah's face in there. You know, they mm. did a good job of making her, you know, um, making her up as Linda. Uh, I'm very curious how that uh, show will play out, you know, just because we, yes, I firmly remember that scandal and it kind of being a big discussion. I'm really excited for Beanie Feldstein uh, to yeah. be uh, Monica. Monica. Be- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I was showing that to Jeffrey today. We were looking at pictures of the different actors that have been cast and thinking about how they're going to uh, how they're going to play the different people. Um, she's sure best friends with the twink you don't like. She's best friends with uh, Ben Platt. <laughs> oh, well, there we go. They went to high school together. Oh, of course they did. That's adorable. <laughs> um. Um, I don't know. Again, I didn't. Uh, I really didn't watch a ton this week. Just the just the film that we're talking about. Um, well, I did watch another movie, but that's going to be the subject of our next episode. So I don't want to talk too much about that either. So I did watch some stuff, but for the show, yeah, um, wasn't really. I didn't watch any fun horror stuff. Yeah, what well, we're coming off of. I mean, I'm not trying to apologize or like explain away why, but it's like you know we are we are coming off of like Halloween and we're coming we're going into the lighter Christmas holiday uh, with Thanksgiving and all of that stuff. So yes, Thanksgiving I mean, is a Christmas holiday. Yeah, I mean, this year it is because <laughs> I'm just like I'm playing Christmas music at work. I'm just telling people yeah, like I know people have just moved on. Yeah. I, I mean, Let's like do Christmas <laughs> exactly, and given all of the like already everything we already know about the problematic nature of Thanksgiving in general, it's like let's just move on to Christmas, right? Because the problematic capitalism, of exactly, because <laughs> that's something we that we can all. That. 
Yeah. There's a, uh, there's a very nice secular component. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, true. I did order some things. I ordered a couple of, um, black Santa hats and some, uh, scary Cryptmas sweaters. So I'm starting to prepare. I've ordered a few other things because my, you know, my brother and his wife are going to come visit with their child, their child. And uh, so I ordered, um, I ordered some things for him so he can be scary Christmas appropriate. And I'm going to order some things for them. And so at least for one day, because she's a super Christmas fan, you know, Mm -hmm. she loves the, the Hallmark channel. And uh, all the movies, <laughs> she watches all of them. She is like, she's like Christmas freak, like I am Halloween freak. So, um, you know, ah, the light in the dark one day, you know, because they're coming after the holidays. So they, they actually arrive on the 26th. So they'll do their whole fancy family Christmas the way they want to do it. And then they're going to come here and do it the way that we do it. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, so I'm getting them some different, uh, you know, scary Christmas or, you know, um, outfits and things. It's going to be fun. So, and they're not going to be able to say no because their other presents are going to be even better. So it's like, you have to wear this or I'm not giving you anything else. (laughs) Uh, you know, but it'll be fun and we'll, you know, we'll watch, uh, I'm not sure. I need to actually find out from my brother what, um, movies the the kid has seen although he's so young that it probably doesn't really matter but you know i do want to show like nightmare before christmas and things like that to him uh so it's not going to be too horror we're not going to do the exorcist (laughs) oh Uh, why not well i mean if he wakes up early before they do and he comes and wanders out maybe no i'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so yep Plans are starting to firm up. We have some plans in the works for um, our Christmas series this uh, this December. So I'm very excited about some of those plans and some of the cool stuff we're going to be doing. So stay tuned, as always, dear listener. Um, anything else, Joe, before we uh, transition? Um, speaking of Christmas movies, uh, you everyone should definitely watch uh, The Christmas Bow on mm. Hallmark um holiday and mysteries or whatever it's called yeah what was it mysteries and something mysteries and you know cheer and like I'll murder like and yeah um, because we our friend was in it our friend jill whose podcast we were on recently a favor for freddie mm-hmm. uh, she invited us on to discuss uh halloween and that was a lot of fun um so i'll link the the christmas bow film um information below and the information to her podcast. Cause that was actually a really fun conversation, um, you know, to have with her and with you, yeah. Joe, as always, as every conversation is. So, all right, well, we're going to take a quick break and uh, we will be back to discuss the smudging. I just want to apologize. I'm sorry to everyone. I was very naive and very stupid, and I shouldn't have put other people in danger. I am so sorry for everything that has happened, because in spite of what Joshua says, it's now all my fault. I insisted our listeners subscribe to Fright School on Apple Podcasts. I insisted they leave us reviews. 
I insisted that they give us a five-star rating. And it's all because of me that we're here now and we're being hunted. I love you, Mom and Dad. I am so sorry. I only wanted to make good content for our listeners. I'm so scared. I'm going to die out here. Joshua, is that you? All right, welcome back. So today's episode, uh, we are discussing 2016's The Smudging, uh, which is about a paranormal research group, the Night Stalkers, uh, are brought in to investigate an aggressive supernatural entity at a Native American cultural center in Chicago, Illinois. Um... Written and directed and acted in by um, uh, Mike J. Marin. Um, we decided this year we wanted to. The reason we're we're doing this movie and then the the um, the, the film that'll be the subject of our next episode is that we kind of wanted to look at some films that were written and created by, you know, um, indigenous slash native American people working in the horror genre. And so the smudging has been one of the movies that's kind of been floating on the outside of our, you know, the periphery of our show for a while, you know, that, that we knew we wanted to talk about it and to do it. Uh, so this felt like the perfect uh, time to do that. So let's start, um, Joe, with your thoughts. <laughs> um, it, it definitely had, like, it had the scary documentary vibes that, you know, of the Blair Witch. Like, it's very much... It's very much in the tradition of Blair Witch, yeah. of a movie that I haven't seen, Paranormal Activity, um, of Quarantine for a little bit, of Wreck. Um, so I, and that was all really interesting. I mean, it's uh, what I think I love the most about it is the fact that, like, we're using, um, they're using, like, indigenous practices as a way to combat evil. Like even there's there's like a scene where one of the like tech guys hands the other guy like a little crucifix, and that really does nothing. But like it's the indigenous practices. So I, I like that that's being. Um, I like that we're having um, a film that's gonna that's addressing that. That's a film that's like okay, well these people have been you know this entity has been here for you know since before man, since before humankind. So it's like we're and there's that kind of, you know, relation to it. But yeah, I mean, I, uh, overall, um, I don't think I'll watch it again. But I did appreciate what it's saying and like where, uh, what it what it potentially could inspire. Yeah, uh, this is... <laughs> 
Watching the movie made me glad that we, at the end of the day, are not a review podcast. I'm not here to um, discuss whether movies are good or bad. (laughs) Typically on the show, because I do make a lot of the choices, um, I choose films that I like and that I enjoy watching and that I think have, you know, academic or cultural um, discussions happening in in them. Uh, So this film... Again, I think there's a lot to discuss, you know, within mm-hmm. it. There, there's some history that I think people um, should know about it um, and sort of what led to its creation. Um, it does have the quality of like a student film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you had texted me that and I felt like that was very true. Uh, you know, and again, that goes back to questions of, you know, who gets to make films, who gets money to make films, um, you know, what contribution. And so I agree. I think that while, you know, surface wise, I didn't think this was a great movie. In fact, that's why I had to watch it again, because I kept finding myself distracted by other things. I couldn't focus on the movie, Um, you know, which is, I, I mean... <laughs> it just there's it just there are technical issues within it that just make yeah. it a difficult film to watch. Yeah, um, you know, but the there, there's yeah. yeah, there's something to be said about like being having a like technically proficient film. Like in order to, if you have a film that is like you, it's well made in terms of you know the technical aspects of it. It doesn't take away from the story. Like those are the things that will like make your story sing through. Um, And it's not like, you know, like the love witch or like other, like some, some like gay movies where it's like, it's campy. So like the fact that it's poorly made is part of it. Um, You know, that's not, that's not this. This was definitely, it definitely had that sense. And I think what was, you know, the last, the last technical thing that I'll talk about, because I found this as the main struggle for me, was the fact that, like, I'm, are we supposed to believe that this is all shot from, like, the first person? Mm-hmm. Because there were times where it's like, okay, the camera, like, there was a spirit that passed by when Danny Boy's in the hallway that first time that's doing right. kind of, like, the grudge crawl. And it's like, okay, are we supposed to believe that, like, the camera is, a per- is part of their team and just didn't say anything? Or, you know, like what was what was kind of the point of that? Because it looked like a regular, like uh, not there cameraman. So, yeah, that uh, that did push the belief a lot of times where, you know, unlike, um, you know, the things that work in Blair in the Blair Witch Project is that, you know, all the cameras are cameras that they're holding or carrying and they're talking to the cameraman or they're using, and this did, it did feel like they had this other omniscient camera happening while mm-hmm. trying to be seen as a found footage film type thing or a documentary yeah. film. Um, but there were definitely times there was another camera and they, and it, cause it was confusing to me at first when they were walking at the very, very beginning where they go to interview, interview the first woman that quit, you know, and mm-hmm. had left the, the native American cultural center after being pushed by, you know, a multi-handed entity of some sort. And he's like, Oh yeah, I'm here with the cameraman, but he was clearly talking about the guy next to him and not the camera walking in front of them filming. And that really, it threw me. So that's again, why I had to watch the movie over because there were details I missed or things that just, I think were not clear. Um, You know, and again, they, according to like the trivia pages I found for this, you know, they made this with like 
you know, a little over three grand. Uh, a lot of that donated um, through GoFundMe. They had, um, you know, this is like a, a group of people that kind of, I, I feel like, know each other or, you know, kind of were working together. Some of them worked at this Native American Cultural Center, and so they got to use it on Friday nights and all day Saturdays to to film the film. Uh, the director, I think, worked there as some sort of youth mentor. Uh, the woman who plays his sister, who coincidentally they have the same real name or the same last name, real last name in in real life, quote unquote, uh, but they're not related. <laughs> but they play brother and sister, Bad and Max, in the in the film. Uh, I think she worked there as well. So you know, I mean, this is definitely again because the, the, that student effort feel to it is because I think that it kind of was, you know, it kind of had that same energy. Um, but again, you know, not to you know review the film too much, but just to kind of lay context for you know. Um, discussing the movie because I don't, um, you know, I, I don't want to say it was like some great film. Um, but yeah. again, I think it laid the foundation yeah. for films that we're going to talk about in our, in continuing discussions of indigenous horror. And there's not a lot, um, there's not a ton of indigenous horror out there, um, yet, but it is growing and, um, you know, we're, we're starting to see that, um, be evened out. Yeah. You, it, it really comes down to, so, what I'm kind of reminded of with this film is when Pose first came out, that first season of Pose, and I was talking with one of my friends, and they were like, I don't like it. I don't think that they're particularly good performers. Right. And then I, and then I you know, I kind of countered with, well, I mean, they're, they're, they're trying to be authentic to authentic and honest about the stories that they're telling. Like these are, you know, these are women who have not only lived in this scene, but like, you know, live this life as um, black trans women in, you know, in the big city. So you really kind of have to ask yourself, like, what are the, are we at, at what 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 cost and also like access access to resources right. and and all of those things so like this film is very this this film the smudging is just an example of like if we could give these people you know if we could give the film crew the resources that they needed um what could have what possibly could have been could have been done because i just kept thinking like oh this is like the first rough shot of like a movie that eventually will be adapted into some blumhouse feature found footage feature or something yeah absolutely and i I do think again there are some good ideas here and there is some uh history and some things to glean from it so um you know in talk in, in reading like interviews with the director and all um so the film, again, it concerns itself with a Native American cultural center. And if, dear listener, you're not aware, there was the Indian uh, Relocation Act of 1956, which was this law that encouraged, or it was intended to encourage, um, uh, American Indians, Native peoples, you know, the indigenous population that was uh, here before... Um, White European settlers before colonialism uh, yep. happened to them, uh, you know. So it was it was created to encourage them to leave the reservations and and their you know traditional homelands and to assimilate. Um, you know, for a variety of reasons, obviously people go, well, this is you know for their own good, but really the United States uh, did not want to uh, continue to subsidize 
um, for Native peoples. And I think, quite frankly, they wanted the land as well um, as urban expansion continued to grow. And so it was kind of a way to continue to shrink and to undermine the traditional lives of Native people and to, and to further take away from them. And by um, trading in this idea that their lives would be better if they joined uh, the, the modern world, quote unquote. Um, although plenty of, they were living, you know, perfectly fine lives without uh, needing to live in the city, so to speak. Uh, so they, you know, uh, basically kind of forced, I mean, again, it's hard to live in, a, um, in a, a culture of capitalism and all of that to live outside of it. There's just a certain point where life is going to, you know, kind of outrun you. And I think that is sort of what happened here. So a lot of people were forced into the cities, into, you know, urban centers, and they were sort of, you know, their lives were pulled out from under them, their families, the, their communities, the people they knew. So these uh, Native American cultural centers, urban centers popped up as a, as a place to support um, Native people coming into the city where they could find community, where they could find uh, communion, where they could find people who shared their beliefs or shared their um, experiences um, so uh, as the director explains in some, uh, uh, notes on like, I guess the official, uh, movie page for the smudging, uh, his parents met on relocation to the Oakland, San Francisco Bay area in the sixties. Uh, like many natives new to urban areas, they sought out other natives who were also unfamiliar with the areas and lifestyles. Uh, so the native American community centers were established to be a lighthouse, Mm-hmm. Uh, to congregate with other Native people. Uh, he grew up in the halls of Oakland, California's Urban Indian Center called the Intertribal Friendship House. And so he mm-hmm. had spent uh, years there, you know, in the area, and that they, um, I like this, he said they kind of had, they all had a similar feeling to them, this mixture of old world comfort and concrete familiarity. Also, they always smelled like pipe tobacco and sage, the medicines of our culture. Um. You know, but he said at night, though, they were also very creepy. And, um, you know, it kind of gets a little, I, I would like to get some clarification, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe we should reach out to him and see if we can like, get him mm-hmm. to come actually on the show and chat about this. But, um, you know, these places, um, these cultural centers, you know, were sometimes... Um, you know, they were like donated or dwelling, you know, they were places that had been something else. They were hospitals mm-hmm. or prisons or, you know, they, they, they were some other uh, building that served some other purpose that then they got re, you know, sort of re-skinned as these uh, cultural centers. Um, and so he said that a lot of times they just felt creepy at night, you know, if you were in there, if you were volunteering and maybe you were doing stuff at night or cleaning up. And, and so that, uh, he felt these creepy vibes and that's kind of what mm-hmm. led to him creating and writing this, uh, film, um, particularly about the one that he worked at, I guess he moved and, um, somehow ended up in Chicago. And so that's, and so that's where, you know, the smudging was shot on location there, um, from the halls of the intertribal friendship house to the floors of the American Indian center of Chicago. I have collected, you know, these stories. And, uh, so grab your flashlights, huddle together in the dark, and I will tell you a story. <laughs> um, so that is from his like official director's notes on the smudging. And so, um, so that's where these centers kind of come from. So they have, you know, uh, for the last 
you know, 50 plus years served as this sort of space. And, um, you know, by the way, the effect of that law uh, really in the end had very devastating long-term effects. Relocated tribe members became isolated from their communities and they faced racial discrimination and segregation. Many, uh, while promised, you know, this upward mobility of joining, um, you know, the United States, whatever you want to call it, cult, uh, you know, they ended up with only low paying jobs with, you know, little advancement potential, uh, suffered from lack of community support and the higher expenses uh, typical for urban areas. And they couldn't even return to where they had come from because the reservations had been dissolved. Um, You know, so it just kind of created this really, really, really terrible situation for native people in the, uh, in the sixties and seventies and that we obviously, uh, still see echoed today. Mm-hmm. So, um, so to return to the film, what I like and what I saw potential here is that in horror, and we've seen this in, with it, we've seen this with pet cemetery. We've seen this with poltergeist, you know, this, this idea of like ancient Indian burial grounds, you know, there's all like, mm-hmm. is just this, um, hard to avoid trope in a lot of horror. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I kind of was excited about the, uh, about the ideas of, you know, a native group, um, talking about a spirit that lives in this place outside of like, because there's a whole conversation, although again, it didn't make much sense. And this is where, you know, again, if they had had somebody come in and maybe help with the script or rewrites, I'm not sure. I don't know what really what their process was, but the man they bring in Robert, uh, who's not a medicine man, but he's like, he's a medicine warrior, right? Medicine warrior. <laughs> that's a good way. Yeah. That is how they describe him. I guess that's what we can say. You know how he's like, you know, all oh, this entity was here even before the native peoples, the, the people that were here before the native people worshiped him. And I'm like, wait, so who is that? <laughs> who like if yeah. the native people, if there was somebody here before the native people, then the natives are not the natives. You know, like those people are the natives. <laughs> so I was yes. a little confused by some of that, what exactly the entity was. Um, uh, definitely related to the Babadook, clearly. Uh, yes, I was like, is this pissy miles? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I, I when when he's like, you know, holding up the little cross and pissy miles is right there. I was half expecting, you know, the Babadook. <laughs> <laughs> the Babadook. <laughs> right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Get um, what when he starts when he's talking about like how the entity is um how the entity is is be is be predates the native people, um, worshipped by the people who came before. I was kept thinking about um it chapter two mm, when yeah. um Mike is talking about exactly that, like then this like supernatural entity, supernatural intergalactic entity that the native people that um the you know were fighting and it's like who who are they though um i felt very similarly i'm like who are these people yeah so it got a little kind of confusing there um but again like dealing with sort of this um you know when you're you know so many tropes of horror like i was saying you know it is about the indian burial ground and you know america Mm -hmm. Truly, um, you know, 
B. Uh, so here, let me um, read a little bit of this. This is from uh, The Rise of Indigenous Horror, How a Fiction Genre is Confronting a Monstrous Reality. And this is by Alicia Elliott um, writing says, if the creators of Western horror believe indigenous genocide only belongs in the national consciousness as a horror trope, the infamous Indian burial ground, which, for the record, should be all of this continent, and that the people, often white, haunted by our ancestors' ghosts or innocent victims, what do the descendants of those ghosts fear? What more is there to fear when you've already faced governments who have tried for centuries to wipe you out, who have used biological warfare and forced starvation to create an apocalypse for your people? Mm -hmm. Um... You know, so I, so I was excited to watch this film. You know, mm-hmm. you know, called the smudging, and you know, there's lots of things about, you know, obviously smudging has become sort of um, commonplace in our society. You know, like Gwyneth Paltrow's doing it on the cover of Goop. I'm sure. You know, it's kind of, you know, become the, it, its own sort of trope in the in movies. You know, when really it's a it's a ceremony, a custom of, of Native American and other indigenous cultures that um, uh, they use smudging as, as it calls on the spirits of sacred plants to drive away negative energies and restore balances. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. so I, I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. We're at like a Native American cultural center. You know, we have these characters who are Native. We have this history that we know of. And I, I thought there that this would explore that a little bit more. You know, and maybe reckon with some of those tropes. Um, so I was a little let down with the revelation of the monster and that it was something, you know, it kind of akin to it, you know, that it kind of always yeah. been here. Um, and maybe that's why, maybe it did, needed a little bit of clarification because maybe that's what he meant. Maybe he just meant not our tribe, but another tribe was, you know, mm-hmm. on this particular mm-hmm. land rather than the natives before the natives as, as it comes across a little bit clumsily in the script. Um, you know, so that was one, that was one, um, topic to kind of, to look at uh, in this, in this movie, you know, sort of hoping that it would reconcile with like that poltergeist kind of thing and, yeah. it mm-hmm. and like pet cemetery. It did not do that. I thought it was kind of it was setting it up that it could have. Um, but again, I think it's planting that conversation you know, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that other films will do. And, and, and um, we'll talk about at the end, what our next episode will be. Uh, Cause all of this is going to be a lot more applicable to that film. I think um, it's, it's the better of, 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 of the, of these two films. Um, so I, um, anyways, I, I just wanted to bring that up, like the kind of the history of that and this, uh, this trope, because I thought I would deal with that a little bit more. And it really, it didn't, um, you know, it did kind of, they talked a little bit about smudging is commercialization, you know, that it's become this sort of mm-hmm. commonplace thing. And then they made sage grenades, <laughs> which was a little, <laughs> uh, I yeah, I didn't know what to, I was like sage grenades. Also, they were I mean in Chicago, a place that is known for a fire. They <laughs> they they took these, you know, grenade like these little bombs of flammable material, lit them up and threw them and then ran away. No, no. And I was yeah, and I'm just like I don't know about this. And then um, didn't even Robert use one after he like criticized that he's like, Sage is not, it's to bring in the light. It's not like a weapon. And then they have him like, yeah. using something similar. So that, that was also yeah. a little muddy. 
Um, um, again, it just was hard to track the, you know, these rules of the, um, yeah, the, of the thing. I, I thought it was a little unsettling where, you know, oh, I'm just going to listen to someone being brutally murdered. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when they were, because that's, that's another part of the story that kind of resolves itself very quickly. Which, like, I didn't think was necessary. Like, I, mm-hmm. I exactly what you said. And again, I, I, we are, we are, we're very dangerously flirting with being a review podcast right now. But the thing about <laughs> it is, is that there are, they, I felt like you could, there could have been so much more, especially like after the opening, um, the opening cards where it's like, this is based on a true thing that happened. Like this is based right. on an actual experience. And so I'm like, okay, that would be really cool. But then you had like this whole thing with a serial killer and those like awful disturbing pictures of buttons and all that stuff. And I was like, I, and, and you know what? Like I kind of get it because that also reminded me of it. It's like the, you know, the thing on the surface when the deeper thing is, the fact that, you know, Pennywise is this, you know, extraterrestrial supernatural entity. Right. Um, Influencing people. In, yeah, exactly. And so I'm just like, I totally get where that was coming from. But at the same time, I didn't think it was necessary. And then to just kind of have like, you know, him listening to this snuff film and then we watch him react. <laughs> yeah, it was. I was, Yeah. Yeah, it was a strange diversion. I mean, and it kind of comes up with, like, his spirit is also there with the buttons. But it was just, yeah, again, it was just a little muddy. Um, But, you know, again, I think trying to approach that with, you know, um, like the Amityville horror. It's like Mm -hmm. um, Ronald DeFeo had believed that the, like, the house, like, you know, the ancient Indian burial grounds, and that there was this spirit of an Indian, of a native person who was like influencing and encouraging him to murder people, um, you know, and to murder his family, I think was one mm-hmm. of the delusions that he held, um, you know, before the, uh, the family moves in, that's the story before the story, uh, you know, so it's like kind of interesting to be like, you know, to kind of reckon with this idea that it's not the, you know, it's not the, the native people or the native spirits creating mm-hmm. this situation. You know, they're not the ones walking these halls. It's the, it's these people that it's this other entity that is forcing people to do bad things. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, that is, that is not indigenous, you know, spirit, I guess <laughs> is what they were trying to do. Again, I think there are a lot of good ideas here um, that just needed fleshing out and commitment you know i think that overall that was the really hard thing with this movie again is that uh, with the acting the commitment to it like either we're kind of like is this funny or is it not funny or we like is you know so again i'm not necessarily recommending the film (laughs) i say as something that people need to see but i think as a way as as a as an entrance into um discussing you know horror native horror indigenous artists um, I think this is a good a good conversation because there are things to things to discuss. I like um, you know the native history is I mean it has a very rich tradition of oral of, of storytelling of um, 
you know, there are lots of creatures and lots of spirits and entities that could be played with and could be, you know, well suited for horror in the hands of indigenous artists and creators. You know, I think there's a lot there to explore and this kind of starts to do that a little bit. Um, I think again, if, if they made any money off of this or are able to, you know, to use it to raise more money and to, you know, write and create something that, that, that expands these ideas could be really, really great. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, but they would also need to kind of, I think the director would need to kind of step outside of it and not necessarily act in it. Um, and then of course it got really weird. I don't know. I mean, I kind of felt awkward with the thing at the end where it was like, Oh, the woman has to do it. Cause like women create and they're the light. And I don't, that was very strange. Um, and I think sometimes that's one of those things where it's like, obviously I don't, I don't deny like the power of women clearly, but you know, men create life too. And they're, you know, I don't know. That just felt very clumsy and weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there were things in this that felt very bro at times. Yes. You know, like some of the jokes or some of the things that they said to each other. I'm like, is that like an inside joke between these people in life? You know, or like we're just saying stuff to kind of, I don't know, it was just weird. It was a little bro. And that kind of whole moment there, I was just like, wait, okay, what? Um, Not that it's not true. Not that, you know, people don't, you know, hold women in this sort of space. And again, it could have been, it just felt tacked on like at the end and just clumsy. Um, (laughs) I don't know. Um. I did think it had some genuinely creepy moments though. When that girl came across the hall, that was creepy when she like crawled across in the background Mm -hmm. and like there were some shadows and there were some tense moments. I mean, being in an empty building in the basement, of course, it's just going to be creepy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I loved, uh, Danny boy. Um, Hey dude, there's a little girl up here. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And then, and then, cause like, I would like to think that that's what I would be like if I was if I was in that situation. They'd be like, "Hey guys, there's this there's a little girl up here." Something and then I think <laughs> my favorite my favorite line of the whole thing was Danny Boy saying to the spirit, "Are you a ghost?" <laughs> yeah. Um, uh. <laughs> I loved. I was like, I'm I'm kind of here for this. Um, I did like the little misdirect of. Um, uh, Danny boy jumping, but yeah. not jumping. Right. Um, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. 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 But again, like there's the, I, I think that what this film does too, is that it does kind of pull in a little bit from the, the idea of like oral tradition mm-hmm. and because you don't get to, you don't have the like benefit of flashback scenes right. or, you know, that setting that up. You it's, it is um, an elder for the most part, you know, telling you tradition, you're getting the bits and the stories. And I thought that that was something that was very effective. Yeah. Um, one thing that I could definitely relate as, as also a person who comes from like, you know, an indigenous occupied colonized, you know, people by, by uh, um, infected by imperialism and colonialism. Um, I like the idea that like, I kind of related to a few things like right in the beginning where um, 
I forget who they're interviewing, but it says, you know, the spirits will come and take you if you answer them. So like mm. if the spirit is, if the, if they're talking to you, don't talk back. Right. And I'm just like, Oh, I love that because even in my culture, we have like our own beliefs about like ancestors and spirits of the land. And, um, and then even like spirits, uh, from the recently departed, like when I was, uh, when uh, the year that I was born, um, a few months after I was born, my grandmother died. And there is a belief that, you know, you have to kind of, if you have a newborn in the family, you have to like dress them in red and then hide their, when the, if you have like a home viewing of, you know, if the casket comes to the house and you do a home viewing there, you have to like put the baby under the casket. So that way the, they can't take you they can't take the baby back to the spirit world. And so those are, that's something that I kind of connected with. And yeah. I find myself, I found myself um, in very specific moments connecting with things. And, um, and I'm like, okay, like this is something that like people who have those indigenous beliefs, you know, can, you know, are, will um, indigenous culture and those beliefs that come with it, I should say, um, will relate to and at the same time, it's like, you know, you have the little cross and it's just like, cause you can't, there's also, that's also very much a part of identity because it's, you know, the, the religion that was like thrust upon and uh, literally beat into ancient people um, as a way to kind of assimilate and to civilize quote unquote. And so there were those aspects of it. I'm just like, okay, well like right. that cross is not going to help you, but my herbs and my belief of the ancestors and all of that getting in touch with it, this is what's going to save you from this um, extra big, bad evil. Right. Right. No, I think that's great. I think that's, uh, that's awesome that you can bring that perspective. Um, to this and this whole conversation, obviously, um, as we look at other um, indigenous horror, so to speak, um, which again is sort of similar in that way to discussions in horror noir and black horror that really mm -hmm. I mean, the history is the horror and the horror is the history. You know, mm -hmm. the things that white people may build and write as a horror movie, um, it, it might be because they have not been subjected to such horror. Um, yeah, you know. So again, overall, I mean, this is. I, I think it was you know um, an interesting watch just to get um, you know kind of start some of these ideas you know percolating in our heads as we uh, continue uh, to watch the films of this um, nature. Um, you know, dear listener, I I don't know what to tell you. I mean, you know, if you just want to watch it because you know you're listening to the show and want context, <laughs> uh, you should, um, you know? Yeah. I mean, if you want to watch it because, you know, if you want to watch it because I, I told Joshua, I'm like, I think the, I, I was like, this is not, this is going to sound shady, but it's not. I'm like, watching this makes me think that we could also do one. Like we, <laughs> we could make a movie. <laughs> like we could make a movie. And, and that is like really comforting. But at the same time, like, you have to think about when people, 
when you're thinking about representation and, you know, representation matters, representation's important, there are people who are doing that work. It's just Absolutely. they're not being well-funded. Yeah. They're not giving being given access to those. Not that same opportunity. Yeah. I, I, exactly. You're not being given that same opportunity. And I'm, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm also like, I'm very aware that I'm, I'm trying not to say this as to sound like, you know, oh, if we just gave them a bunch of money and, no, you know, course, gave right. them acting classes, it would be better. Like, no, this like when you have these kinds of stories and you are have the ability to create, you just sometimes you just can go out and do it. Right. And where and then what deems it as a success, you know, because we live in, you know, cis white hegemonic patriarchal capitalist society. <laughs> yes, bell hooks. Yeah, like since we live in um in that kind of society, it's like okay, well, you know, if we this is only a success if it is like you know a by what standard, you know, by what 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 kind of standard, and so. But yeah, so I I definitely think people should should watch it at least once to kind of get that feel for it. If anything, introduce you to these artists and these people who are making the films. but it should also serve as like inspiration where it's like, yeah, I can go do that. Like why, why should I wait for someone to tell the story of my people when I can go in and tell the story in a very interesting and different way. And, and I'm always looking at it. And I love when we talk about it on the show, when we get to watch movies that are like flipping a genre on its head or like flipping it a little bit. So exactly playing with, um, exactly. Like this is like a haunted house narrative, but it's also like, you know, it's not holy water and, um, um, and chanting and all that kind of stuff. It's like herbs and, and the wisdom of ancestors that's getting us through this. Yeah, exactly. And that, and that in losing that and forgetting it, you're really left unprotected. And so it's a, um, yeah, it's a good, uh, again, a good conversation starter. So, um, we will be back uh, in two weeks because we will be off next week for the um, Thanksgiving slash Indigenous Solidarity uh, Harvest Time holidays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but we'll be back in two weeks to discuss. So, you know, you can watch it now, Blood Quantum. Um, and I do believe we're going to have a special guest on for that day, but I don't want to say right now. Um, but I do believe we'll, it'll be there'll be uh, three, three voices in your earballs. Um, and to continue this conversation and um, blood quantum, I actually think is a really fun, good movie. And um, I think that you'll enjoy it more, Joe. Um, or not, maybe not enjoy it more. It's, it's quite a interesting <laughs> film, but um, I think it's going to be, I, I think it's going to lead to a really fun conversation. <laughs> yeah. I can't yeah. wait. I'm very excited. Yeah. And so again, that was the smudging 2016. It is on, I think it's on Amazon prime, Amazon prime yeah. with subscription. Yes. Right. Um, but yes, it is available. So until we see you in two weeks, Joe, good night. Joshua. Good night. (laughs) 
Bright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Bright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. Geekscape Network.